A new equation for switching on outcomes is here from PwC. It's human-led and tech-powered. It's PwC with Oracle, SAP, Salesforce, and Workday. It's PwC with Microsoft, AWS, and Google. Simplify your systems and amplify your results. Switch on outcomes with PwC and their alliances. Learn more at pwc.com. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Voice API, you get comprehensive call analytics, virtual assistance, automated speech recognition, and text-to-speech benefits across multiple languages. Developers can add smart voice functionalities into your app, giving your customers an easier way to reach you. And you can start collecting real-time data to drive more meaningful engagement to move your business forward. Learn more at Vonage.com. This episode is brought to you by Buffalo Trace Distillery. Powerful yet smooth. Contained but never tame. Proudly going their own way, but never going alone. This is the spirit inside Buffalo Trace bourbon. Made at Buffalo Trace Distillery, the world's most award-winning distillery. Buffalo Trace is always perfectly untamed. Distilled, aged, and bottled by Buffalo Trace Distillery, Franklin County, Kentucky. 90 proof, 45% alcohol by volume. Learn more at buffalotracedistillery.com. Please drink responsibly. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000-square-foot showroom is Court-certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Train Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Uh, glad to be back after a few few weeks off here. Yeah, between traveling and just general... Dan and I do have lives outside of writing, believe it or not, and uh, 
those things sometimes get in the way. But you know what? I, I think that this is a great week to, to kind of jump back into things because uh, Syracuse fans have an awful lot to talk about right now. Yeah, I mean, we had a couple of lean weeks there. Uh, just happened to work out where they weren't. Uh, they're, they're the week that we took off. But uh, plenty of going on now, which is which is fun. Um, obviously, we didn't know that we were going to be getting an athletic director uh, come what, Friday or Saturday night. But uh, it worked out, and the timing worked out well for this podcast. So excited to get into it because I think we are all pretty excited about uh, how we end, how we how the whole search turned out. Agreed. Um, for those who thought anything different, uh, today's episode will mostly cover uh, new Syracuse Athletic Director Mark Coyle. Um, for those who didn't get to check out our, uh, wouldn't call it an exclusive interview because it wasn't that, but um, we had one of the kind of coveted me- uh, media slots uh, to start off his tenure. So uh, not day one officially, but the day he was announced, we did get to chat with him for a few minutes. Um, so for those who didn't see that, uh, go check out the short Q&A um, over on newsmagician.com. But Dan, uh, right off the bat, who, I think, not who, but what was your initial reaction when you saw not only that we had named an athletic director on a, a late Friday night, but, um, you know, the fact that we got someone from Boise State who I think all of us had just kind of assumed was, was out of our um, his range of influence. Uh, I was pretty excited. It was a guy who his name had come up um, probably early on. I'm not sure if we listed him in the post that we did, but he was definitely like a guy who had been floated around. But he definitely didn't seem like someone that was an obvious connection for SU. Um, but at first blush, and, and even and since, I've been pretty much all on board. I think uh, he's a really, I think he's the right kind of hire for where Syracuse is and where what we're coming out of in terms of our last uh, athletic, our last athletic director. Not to cast aspersions in Dr. Groves, but I think he spent the time that he was hired pretty well for certain reasons, and I think Coyle does the same thing coming off of all the issues that brought up in the last year or so. Absolutely agree. I think, you know, the, the main things that uh, that Chancellor Sivarud kind of spelled out um, as the search was getting started were, you know, uh, the academic sanctions, the really like compliance focus, um, fixing football and in general, just making sure that everything, um, the Olympic sports um, stayed moving forward. And I think Coyle, uh, based on both his resume at Boise State, you know, leading them through uh, some compliance issues that he had nothing to do with, um, but still had kind of inherited um, football. Obviously, he didn't get them to their stature now, but uh, very much led them, you know, into still being the premier um, kind of non-power team in this new playoff era. Um, and then, you know, Boise in, in general, uh, academics, in, again, increased um, under his watch and and um, you know, they're non-traditional sports. I mean, Boise before a few years ago was really only known for football. Um, and since, you see uh, an increase in success for women's sports, other non-revenue sports. Uh, men's basketball is suddenly a perennial tournament contender um, in a tough Mountain West conference. So this, uh, to me, as well as you and a lot of other fans, really kind of checks all the boxes in a way that um, I'm not sure any other candidate out there would have. And, and I guess... Yeah, the fact that we didn't 
necessarily see him as, as viable or see him as, um, I, I think not even viable, reachable is probably the right word. Um, it's kind of indicative of how the last, how poorly the last year uh, has treated um, Orange fans in particular. Yeah, and I, I kind of think, I think when we were looking at these, uh, people who fill this role, there was uh, kind of a natural bias towards people with a Syracuse or Central New York experience. And now that I think about it, I'm kind of intrigued by Coyle coming coming in with very little connection to Syracuse uh, before he was hired, obviously. Um, because I think coming from Boise and uh, being an Iowa guy, I think there's enough of a, a similar cultural connection there where he's not going to um, – I think there's a good chance he ends up understanding and getting what the Syracuse family is all about. But he's not going to be kind of shaded towards the things that he's experienced in the past because he isn't a Syracuse person. It's kind of similar to, uh, to Subaru. He comes from very different backgrounds, so he can kind of look at things objectively and not worry about kind of the – the minutia that Syracuse uh, fans can get caught up on sometimes. So I think he, he fits culturally better than Dr. Gross did uh, for a lot of reasons, but he also won't get bogged down, I don't think, by like the little things. I think he's I'm, – I'm very uh, – I was impressed by his introduction, um, and I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what he does in his first few months and, and how it's going to differ from what we're used to and, and how he builds on some of the good things that Gross did. Right. No, I, I think that's that's pretty spot on. He's, I mean, we talked about this kind of internally, and I even asked Coyle um, when I spoke to him on Monday, uh, you know, similarities-wise, I think first and foremost, um, the kind of local pro team angle is something that, that he seems to understand. I mean, to what degree, I guess we'll find out. But like you said, the fact that he doesn't have any kind of preconceptions of Syracuse and, and sacred cows, um, other than, you know, the Dome and, and Jim Beheim, It seems like overall he, he very much um, wants to honor what's here while also making sure that um, some of the mistakes of the past are not repeated. And I think that that is, you know, similar to Sivarud, and I think they have a lot in common there, um, it is something much needed, much valued um, for those of us kind of, you know, anxious to see what happens over the next five to ten um, as Syracuse enters a new era, um, you know, not that they, not that the pool of power schools really shrank, it only shrank by about two um, from from the last kind of reshuffling. But um, you know, there's a lot more money at stake now than there used to be. There's a lot more influence at stake than there used to be. Um, and I think this is a critical, critical point um, for the Orange Athletic Program, um, especially football, but I'd say everybody all around. Um, to, to figure out their place in the world and odd things stacked against us to, to rise, um, you know, to the top in, in sports that aren't, you know, lacrosse and, and basketball. But at the same time, um, I mean, you never really know. This is college athletics and things can turn on a dime for, for those who are not at the, the very, very top or very, very bottom of any sport. Yeah. And it's kind of nice to have a guy coming from a place like Boise where, Obviously, he, he didn't build the football program, so you, you can give him credit for the Harson hire. You can, and he maintained it. But it seems like, as an entire athletic department, they got a lot done with the Mountain West resources. Um, and in a place where I, I bet Boise, Idaho, is not that far off from 
what Syracuse, New York is like in terms of the sports landscape and what the university means to the greater city. Um, so obviously there are many issues with growth. Uh, they're all very well, you know, they've been talked about all the time. Um, apparently Coyle has a pretty good background as a fundraiser, and it seems like he might be a guy who's more efficient um, with how he spends and how he improves the program. So I'm uh, I'm pretty excited to see what he does. Um, and while, you know, he didn't build the football program, he did kind of uh, build a pretty decent basketball program in a very short amount of time. Um, the Boise State basketball team is pretty uh, pretty decent now, at least as, as far as Mountain West programs go. So it's not like he didn't totally put a, his mark on Boise in three years. Like, he did change things and he did – improve areas so it's uh i think it's a, a pretty uh it's gonna be interesting to see how it goes forward um and i think a lot of basketball fans will be excited to hear that uh a lot of the boise fans who weren't that upset about him leaving thought that he was too basketball focused so i think the balance in terms of his interests might actually um be a pretty decent one for the, the more basketball oriented Syracuse fans although obviously i hope he uh he puts his his early efforts into football because we you know, you know, we talk about that all the time. We we both agree that football needs to drive the bus here. Right. And I think it, you you brought up a very good point that I hadn't even really considered is that, you know, while while football is a is a specialty, um, basketball is something that he he showed himself to be very adept at. I mean, uh, Boise State was in really much a non contender in the WAC um before they moved to the Mountain West. Um, and then in a very short amount of time, they went from kind of bottom feeder to, you know, conference contender. I mean, last year they, uh, they tied for the regular season conference title for uh, lo- losing out um, to San Diego State, um, who's kind of the uh, the king of the hill um, out west for, for an extended amount of time at this point. But, you know, it does go to show that, that with just a little bit of, uh, you know, effort and, and, and some – it seems like marketing acumen, but not in the same way that Gross did it. Um, he was able to build a lot in a short amount of time. I think, like you said, football needs to drive the bus. And I think between everything he said, everything Sieverud said, um, it seems like he understands just how important football is. I mean, the fact that he gave what seemed like a pretty extensive interview with uh, Andrew Adelson over at uh, ACN, ACC football blog, uh, just on football, um, to me kind of spoke volumes about the task at hand for him and, and, and his keen understanding um, of that both internally and externally um, in terms of the SU fan base. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry from delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Uh, oh, sorry. I was totally muted. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I totally agree. Um, I just think uh, overall... I don't, I can't, there's, there, it's weird because usually you'd be able to pick out like one thing that you, you know, that isn't great about a hire. Um, this one, there, it really seems to, to check off all the boxes we were looking for, which is rare to say. Uh, and maybe the biggest concern is like 
he's moved around a lot, and uh, people might be worried that if, like, the Kentucky AD job uh, opens up, which doesn't seem like it should uh, in the next couple of years, he leaves. But it'll be kind of the same thing when we talk about hiring football coaches and that we've experienced with Marone. Um, you know, he's often did a better job than Syracuse, and he, he does some big things here. So I think you take that as it comes, and it could end up being where he just sits around for a long time. So um, there's really not a lot to dislike about this hire, at least from what we've heard and what we've seen so far. And, and all the reports that of Boise, aside from some people who – thought he was too basketball-oriented, which seems kind of like a silly thing when the football team went to the Fiesta Bowl last year. Um, all, most of the reviews have been, like, absolutely uh, fantastic. So it seems like we made a – I think Spencer Rude is a, a, an A for the tire, at least based on what we know so far. True. And, and you mentioned that, you know, no one has a problem with the with the hire. can find a bad thing to say about him. Um and that thought was kind of echoed. I know Sean was on um, ESPN Syracuse today, and that was kind of the, the prevailing sentiment was that you know, no one could, could find a bad thing to say about the guy. Um, and, and I think part of that is because it really was a great hire. And like you said, uh, a solid A for, for Champ Seabrood um, on the hire. Um, but, but it's also because of kind of how, again, how rough the last year has been on SU fans. And I think, you know, that can kind of change your perception um, very quickly. I mean, you look at SU football fans. While after 2012, a seven and six record in 2013 seemed like a disappointment. After 2014, um, you know, a seven and six record would would seem like a blessing. Uh, and it's, I mean, again, that's kind of the fan base. That's kind of just how college sports work. Um, riffing a little bit um, on this topic still, uh, Dan. What is the the one thing that you would like to see um, Mark Coyle address first and foremost, like in his first, I know like I asked this question of him and I, he just didn't have like, he didn't have an answer yet. And I don't blame him for that, to be honest. But, but if, if you were to spell out like the one thing that he accomplished in his first 60 to 90 days on the job, what, what would you like it to be? God damn it. <laughs> I, yeah, so I, I, as I was saying to no one, because I keep on meeting myself and forgetting, um, I hope he doesn't rush into anything. I, I hope that he takes a couple of months uh, before we get into, like, August and get close to the football season beginning um, to really evaluate everything and learn as much as he can, uh, which I don't think is something that Dr. Gross probably did when he decided to retire 44 four months into his tenure. Um but I hope he learns as much as he can about uh, Syracuse, watch all the documentaries, talk to Floyd Little as many times as he can. Um, but I think the first most pressing issue is probably having some clarity on the Mike Hopkins situation. Um, I think most Syracuse fans want to see Hop take over. I think it's pretty clear that Bayheim wants to see Hop take over, which I think his his opinion is is valued here, considering he's been working with Hopkins uh, hands-on for a couple decades now. Um, Hopkins is a, a top five, top ten recruiter in the country, so I think I think he's earned it. Um, and it might be natural for Coyle to want to make his mark with a big basketball hire in a couple of years, but I think he would win a lot of points with Syracuse fans if he figured out. I mean, assuming it's something that Hop and, and Beheim both still want, getting the secession plan right away, uh, at least best he can for the years or so before Beheim actually retires. 
So getting some clarity there, I think, would definitely be my first uh, wish from him. That's fair. And uh, to be honest, I know that, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to say that. I I probably would say that um, just because I think that that's kind of, uh, you know, the the cloud hanging over SU fans overall is the basketball program still has some sanctions to deal with. It doesn't have a postseason ban to deal with, but the Bayheim suspension, the lost scholarships, probation, there's, there's still plenty of things standing in the way. And I think the one, the one issue that would at least help us in terms of, okay, we're still going to be a right recruit, et cetera, um, would be a move to, uh, to kind of solidify our future of the program, especially as, you know what, Northeast jobs keep coming open um, and, and as do Southern California jobs. Um, and, and with those in mind, like you can't help but wonder how much longer Hopkins is going to sit around without any guarantees. I mean, at some point, you have to act in your own self-interest, um, and I, I would not blame him for looking around without that that guarantee, you know, kind of in writing from the sitting athletic director. Um, but looking for originality here um, and moving away from that answer, um, I think, and this will sound cliche to anyone who reads what I write, um, you know what, setting up the next, like, four to five years of, of football schedules would be perfect right about now. Um, I mean, obviously, we're not going to be completely devoid of, of other power programs. That's impossible based on the ACC's um, scheduling mandate. You have to have a Power 5 team on, uh, on the schedule every year outside of the conference. Um, I know I mentioned this in the comments the other day, but to me, I mean, Notre Dame's on roughly every four years. Um, I think a rotation of West Virginia, uh, Penn State, and Maryland um, would be great. And then maybe, you know, just kind of identifying, you know, whether it's Vanderbilt or like somebody else who's just not exactly up on their luck uh, would be great to kind of plug in in those years that those schools don't come through. I know not easier said than done, but we do have Maryland on a future schedule. Um, Penn State is not on a future schedule right now, um, and that's going to prove to be difficult um, based on the scheduling, how far in advance they're scheduling. Um, West Virginia, same deal. They're kind of looking at pit, if any team, um, in their non-conference schedule. But if we can ID those three, um, it's kind of a, a nice rotation in future years. I certainly wouldn't mind that. Um, I could say the 44 controversy, but I, I think that as much as it sucks to see that kind of PR black eye that we've been dealing with for a while, um, I, I think that some on-field things could be a little bit more pressing, especially as, you know, you said yourself, Dan, um, you know, don't rush into things, especially with 44. Let's, uh, let's just kind of let them lie and uh, and see what happens next. And don't just decide, like, I'm on campus. I have to do something about 44 for positive or negative. Yeah, and I was encouraged when he said that he was going to wait to talk to Floyd. Um, as someone who wants the 244 on the field, uh, it certainly seems like Floyd is going to guide him in that direction. Um, and he, you know, didn't say he was always to call Jim Brown about it. So uh, I think we'll probably see, and obviously like Pete Sala seems to be on board with it being on the field. And he's, you know, just got a, a big uh, promotion today um, coming off of his interim streak here. So it seems like the people that he'll listen to are probably more pro 44 than anti. 
So I'm not overly worried about that getting reverted or getting further muddled. Um, but I do hope we hear about that eventually once he's comfortable with the issue. Um, but I think, like you said, the football schedule would be great. Um, obviously, that's probably not a pet peeve for, like, the more casual fans, uh, but it definitely is for us. Um, but, yeah, it'd be nice to lock up, like, a couple Indianas or, or Vanderbilts or whoever uh, is struggling for some of those power conference slots. But I think it's almost as important to see if we can even get a couple two-for-ones or, or get some of these uh, – valuable non-conference slots so we don't have to worry about doubling up on SEC schools or doing the whole one double A dance two times in a year or whatever. I think, you know, getting the power conference teams is important, but I think power conference teams are are always going to be looking for each other. And unfortunately where Syracuse is now, I don't, I don't think they'll, I don't think that'll be as hard for us to schedule, even for like a weaker school who might think, hey, Syracuse is that weak uh, school they can go play. Um, but I think like the FIUs and the FAUs of the world are going to gobbled up real quick. So if we can start putting together some of these, these not that far away uh, out of conference schedules, like you said, that'd be great. Um, even if it's not just like dumped all on at once, but luckily we have an AD now that has a lot of experience in scheduling for both sports. So um, just another thing that he seems to fill that we, uh, that's been a major concern for, for a lot of SU fans. Yep, and I mean, obviously, like you said, it's while the casual SU fan might not be big, big on scheduling, it does have a huge factor, and something that Coyle alluded to himself in the press conference, in part because of a question prompted by uh, Syracuse.com's Chris Carlson. Uh, make sure to shoot me a note after laughing about the fact that he asked about the schedule. Um, I, I think while everyone's talked about it for a while, uh, our obsession with it on the site has at least brought it a little bit more into the limelight. Um, probably in the last couple of years. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Um, I know I've heard some mentions of, of Duke-type scheduling, which would be perfect. Um, again, let's start locking up the, the valuable and viable um, non-power programs um, as we can, because you know whether it's the schools in Florida or the East schools in Georgia or Virginia or North Carolina, um, we should really be looking for either two for ones with max schools or some of the worst Sunbelt schools, or we should be going for one for ones in places where we don't get to play as often, whether that's with ODU um, or, you know, Florida Atlantic or Florida International, uh, Georgia State. Like these, these are just no brainers. And it's the type of thing where it's confusing to a lot of fans why we're not getting these teams on the schedule and for the more casual fan that might not care right now, like you're going to, if as you wait too much longer and the schedule is littered with, you know, more difficult non-power schools like Marshall, or we have to, you know, head out to Washington or like whatever it is. Um, there, there's definitely some value in getting your schedule done as quickly as possible. Um, pivoting on scheduling a little bit uh, before we hit halftime. Um, Syracuse basketball uh, added another team to the schedule today, uh, Montana State, which was uneventful at first until uh, I know uh, one commenter, Orange Man, Fighter of the Nightman, um, did point out the fact that anytime SU has faced a Montana school in basketball, 
we have proceeded to make the final four. We've only faced a Montana school twice ever in program history, um, Montana State in the 1996 NCAA tournament. Um, obviously, we made the final four that year. And then in the 2013 NCAA tournament, we faced Montana. And we also made the final four that season. So based on that, we're obviously going to the final four. We don't even need to play the games. Right, Dan? Um, I don't think the numbers lie. Uh, I think that's that's the takeaway I have. I mean, it is irrefutable right now. Maybe not by the end of his season, but right now that is irrefutable. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, I have no reason to believe that we won't go to the Final Four this year. I've not seen or heard anything that will shake my unwavering belief that this is a Final Four team for the Syracuse Orange. Don't don't talk about last year being disappointing or Team Christmas being gone or anything else. The Montana school thing is one of the one of the hallmarks of the program. Yep. Thanks, Montana State Bobcats. Um, oh, this a Bobcats? I had no idea what they were. I kind of assumed yeah, they were the Bobcats, or the Bears, or whatever Montana. Is. <laughs> like they just Grizzlies too. Like <laughs> so guess also, so. We just feel <laughs> also <laughs> we feel two we feel two programs. Uh, you know, we just kind of we just kind of pick teams before the season starts, and then we rotate it out once a week. And there are Grizzlies, only, and also Grizzlies. There are only so many basketball players in the state of Montana. We have very limited options with how to handle this. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that's actually how it works. Is Morgan State also in Montana? Are they? No, they're in Maryland. Never mind. They're also in Montana. I was going to say. So I was kind of hoping they were also in Montana. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I thought Morgan they're State was. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I thought Morgan State was in the MEAC. I was like, like, that's a stretch from Montana. Oh, God. And, uh, yeah, I, just, I, really hope, I really hope Seth Davis chooses Montana State to win that game. Oh, that'd be the best. He won't even pay attention to it. He's, he's, he's scarred for life in terms of Syracuse versus Montana team. He's also too busy shilling uh, his mom's green juice on Twitter. He won't, he won't watch that game. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. So on that note, it's halftime. And since it's been a few weeks, we have a lot of beer to talk about, um, including some beer that Dan and I got to consume at the same time in the same place. D- different glasses, luckily. Yeah, different glasses. No, uh, no lady in the tramp <laughs> beer consumption on this end. Yeah, we. Uh, so, uh, it's been like, it's been a while. I'm going through what I haven't had. I have to like, re out some of these beers that are less exciting. Welcome to my every um, week, man. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> I'll take it off, I guess. Uh, in the last couple weeks. I got to try uh, Omegang's latest Game of Thrones beer, that's Three Out of Raven, which is, oh, um, what, what are they classified about? It's a Saison. It's like a, a really dark Saison, but it's um really nice flavor. Uh, doesn't really hit you over the head with anything too much. It's, it's really well balanced, I think. Um, super drinkable. Uh, I know we talked about how Saisons can run like good and bad. I think this is one of the better ones I've had, actually. Um, so that was nice. Uh, all the Game of Thrones stuff aside, too. Like, just a really good beer without the, the gimmick. 
Um, we both had uh, Mexican cake from Westbrook Brewing uh, a couple weeks a couple weeks ago, which was fantastic. Um, Jesus, that beer was good. It was it was very good. I'm not a huge stout drinker, but this just like went down so so well. wasn't overpowering. Um, just a really you know delicious drink, but didn't have like it didn't linger like stouts sometimes do. Um, it was ten and a half alcohol by volume, which is you know you don't have to drink something as high alcohol just for the hell of it. But this worked really nicely. Um, just a really good beer. Uh, I have no idea where to find it. That was the first time I had even heard of it, but uh, highly recommended. So thanks. Thanks to Aaron Goldfarb for, for that one, um, who was also with us at the time. I had uh, same night Peeper Ale from Maine Brewing, which you recommended, which was fantastic. Um, at our second stop in New York City, uh, just a you know pretty standard pale ale, but uh, really delicious. Um, let's see what else? I had Hop State New York from from Oma Gang, which was good. Um, let me get more recent. Uh, yesterday, or not yesterday, but earlier this week, um, I was actually kind of disappointed by it. I tried the Tangier, which is a uh, southern southern tier brewing, one of my favorite breweries. A session IPA from them, which is a little bit outside of what they normally do, but they do have some good IPAs. Uh, this is a session IPA that's read, uh, brewed with tangerine peel, so I was kind of excited about it. And I don't know if I just didn't get a great batch of it. Uh, the first bottle I, ha- I had in the six-pack was definitely not as good as some of the other ones, but uh, just for whatever reason, um, it seemed like way over hopped for a session IPA. Uh, didn't get a lot of the tangerine flavor. Wasn't all like, uh, it just didn't seem like it really worked. Um, that wasn't my favorite, but uh, it was from a build your own fit pack. The other half of it I filled with Honey Spot Road White IPA from Two Roads, which is one of my favorite beers that they do. Uh, really delicious. Kind of brings the best of both worlds from the, the white and the IPA side of things. Um, can't recommend that one enough. And then on uh, Monday, I had Stones Enjoy by July 4th. Uh, really good. Um, yeah, so a couple IPA heavy weeks, but if you can get your hand on that one, that's that's a, a super drinkable one. Uh, really enjoyed that. Um, and a lot of these, you know, I'm not the hugest, like, I'm not the biggest hop head, although I do appreciate them, but a lot of these, you know, if you're, you know, someone who isn't generally a huge IPA drinker, but want to try to ease yourself into them. Um, they're not like super overpowering, but they kind of uh, represent what you can do with them without like overloading the, the bitterness of uh, normal IPAs. There's fair. And yeah, I actually haven't had Enjoy by 7.4 yet. I'll get around to that. I know it's just, it's around all the time here. So I just don't like, when I used to like actually rush out to get it, I don't really do as much anymore um just because again that was around but um i drank quite a bit since the last uh, episode of the show so i guess i'll just kind of dive in um stopped over at uh, russian river brewing company uh, up in Santa rosa california uh, before i headed to new york um so got to enjoy their 19 beer flight some really excellent beers obviously for anyone who's familiar with russian river they make such hits as uh Consecration, Supplication, um, Pliny the Elder, Blind Pig, um, Pliny the Younger, which does not get bottled and is only released for a very, very limited audience once a year. Um, but yeah, had a bunch of those. Um, 
don't even need to really go through them, I guess, because it was just, there was a lot. It was 19 beers, and again, plenty of goodness in there. Um, some other winners, uh, Other Half Brewing's Hop Showers, Other Half's over in Brooklyn. Um, Hop Showers is a really, really good double IPA. Um, got to try uh, Logsdon's uh, Session Brett. Uh, it's a really nice Brett from Logsdon up in um, Oregon. Had a Super Going from uh, Grim Artisan Ales. Uh, which is, again, another Brooklyn selection. Uh, Mexican cake is probably my favorite um, of the week or so. Uh, just a really, really nicely done, um, you know, imperial stout, bourbon barley, imperial stout. Uh, nice touches of, of kind of every flavor in there. A uh, little bit of pepper, um, some, you know, kind of chocolate coffee notes that you're typically going to get. Um, in any sort of uh, stat or porter. So just a really, really uh, nice drink. I got another one. Yeah, that's, I think that's really like what makes it so interesting is that like a really subtle kick at the end. But then it's gone. Like it doesn't, it doesn't stick around and like ruin whatever you're doing after. Like it, you drink it, you get the nice like habanero flavor, but then it, it doesn't like stick around in your, in your mouth. Like it's, it's, it's out of there, which is good. Yeah, like I feel like a lot of breweries that like they play around with uh, with heat uh, sometimes just overdo it a little bit, and and I just didn't think this was the case uh, with that one, which uh, which was nice. Some others that I had: uh, Costa Rican Coffee IPA from uh, Beanery Brewing up in Vermont. Uh, Really, like, kind of interesting clash of styles. Uh, I mean, coffee is just not something you associate with an IPA. And yet, uh, they did a really, really nice job with it. And I, I was very impressed. Uh, other beers. Again, there's a, there are a lot of things here. I uh, had White Oak from the brewery. It was a wheat wine. Very, very uh, interesting kind of vanilla-y um, beer that... Uh, that's, a, that's an official term, vanilla E. Um, an enjoyable one from them. Um, expatriate IPA from Three Weavers um, from nearby to here in Inglewood, uh, as well as Devil's Advocate, uh, Sour from Almanac. And, oh, and the last kind of big highlight, I guess, was uh, Smokey and the Bois from uh, the brewery. Uh, just a really, really nice uh Bourbon barrel aged beer from them. Uh, it's kind of blended. Uh, their best smoked beers uh, from the brewery um, Smoking Wood and uh, Bois Fume. And I mean, obviously, they're both smoked beers, so they're going to uh, blend well together. But I, I just really like the combination um, both there. And beyond that, uh, yeah, I guess I'll close out with uh, Hello LA. It's an IPA from Highland Park Brewing up in the Highland Park neighborhood of Los Angeles. And that is without, well, with sounding pretty over the top. Yeah, that's what happens when we get a uh, three-week gap between podcasts. Too, too true. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. 
Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Yeah, kind of refocusing. Um, we talk a good amount about the AD. Why don't we... Uh... Why don't we talk about this rule change stuff? We can kind of toss around some other ideas too. But I think I think the rule change um, that was proposed today, I know uh, you kind of called our attention to it, Dan. Um, for those who didn't see, uh, NCAA is proposing a rule where it would push back the early entry um, deadline for underclassmen um, going to the NBA draft. A uh, a more thorough evaluation period actually talk to scouts, actually get an honest-to-goodness, um, you know, gut check on, on whether or not they're really going to be drafted where they think or if they're going to be drafted at all. Um, it's just kind of helpful for um, everybody involved, really. I, I think the NBA gets a better look at these kids um, without having to just, like, lazily stash them um, into the D-League. I think programs get a better shot at really looking at how the team is instructed for the following year. I think these kids, um, you know, have the ability now to, well, as long as it passes, um, to, you know, go back to college. If it's something that they that they want to do, if they're either, you know, just not projected where they want to be or not projected at all, like it's it's no longer as blind of, blind of a decision um, for them. And, and I do hope it passes, and, and I think it'll, It'll create a fun atmosphere. Um, well, fun is all relative, but <laughs> a fun atmosphere nonetheless um, next spring as as these underclassmen kind of decide. But I know not everybody thinks that way. Um, I'm assuming you're on the same page there, Dan. Yeah, I'm all for it. I don't know that it necessarily like needs to be the last step that we take. I think eventually I'd like to just be able to see kids get drafted and go back they want um just say like they can figure it out other sports do it but um obviously that's not the way that college sports evolved so i think it's not a bad first step um for i think you know i I know you talked to kevin wall about it earlier and he had some apprehension about how effective it will actually be when utilized and i think there was definitely something to that um a lot of these kids you know, they they might understand that their second round picks at best or, or aren't going to get drafted, but um, that's not necessarily the entire reason they're going. Maybe they just really don't like doing schoolwork or they want to go get their paid anywhere, and that's fine. Um, but I do think even if there's like five kids a year that get to come back and contribute co- at the college level, I just think having the option is good. Even if it's not as, as over, like, even if it's not used as regularly as people may think. I think that the fact that they're giving uh, the student-athletes the, uh, a little bit more control over their own careers is always a good thing, and it's something that the NCAA woefully lacks in a lot of regards. Um, and the fact that the NCAA and the NBA seem all to be on board with this, I'm pretty sure it will pass. So it's, uh, it's encouraging. It's not like a perfect uh, solution, but it's, it's better than what we have, which is uh, it's good. So. I do hope it passes, and I hope that it's not the first step, but I hope uh, it kind of leads on a road to getting somewhere where we can actually, you know, be adults about what college sports are all about and get the right people, 
you know, funnel the money towards the players who earn it and everything else. But um, it seems like in the last couple of years, we've actually had some progress in fixing a lot of these issues. And this is just another example. Um, so hopefully it's, uh, hopefully it works out. It does seem like it will because all the right people seem to be in, in uh, support of it. And I don't know why, I don't know why there would be support for it. it doesn't it seems like kind of a no brainer for both sides. Right. I mean, the fact that the NCAA worked with uh, the coaches association as well as the NBA to put this together um, does seem like it'll be a no brainer. It'll pass. But you know, just, I, I guess we thought the same thing about the early signing period for football, and that didn't happen. <laughs> but uh, we shall see. I mean, that self determination angle is just such a such a key point here. Um, you know, these kids shouldn't have to make blind decisions. Um, and, and like uh, Kevin Wall said um, on the site today, you know, it's not going to change that that top, you know, kind of upper crust uh, athletes. Those guys who want to go are going to go. Um, and the guys who are going to finish the lottery or are going to finish near the lottery and kind of a crapshoot, like those guys probably aren't going to change their minds um, based on, you know, just like a couple, a couple days of the combine or whatever. But um, what this does for them is it, I just think it, it creates a more informed decision and, and it doesn't control that decision either. It, it allows them to really you know, sit down with their families and, and, and instead of, you know, them hearing whispers from the internet or, you know, shady shoe salesman or whoever it is, it's like, Oh man, you're going to be a lottery pick. Like getting to hear from the horse's mouth because right now they, they're not allowed to, to make any contact with, with uh, NBA personnel. Um, it's it's just a much much better situation um, for them, especially in, in a sport like basketball, where there are only 60 picks um, every year, and everybody else kind of has to fend for themselves. I mean, it's much more critical in the NBA than it is elsewhere, where you have either lots of rounds or lots of different um, entry points into the league. And I, I think this is a this is a great great move forward, as you said. But it's it's, it's step one in what should be um, a better process in future years. Yeah, and I think one of the the key things that Kevin brought up is that I do need to figure out is how players go about paying for, you know, like he he used the example of Christmas, who obviously wouldn't be going back, but it's still the example's valid. Um, you know, he's done like 25 workouts in the last like month, a month and a half, which is insane. And part of that's that he was like, you know, Chad Ford said he was the best player in the combine. Obviously, that turns his head. But that's not always going to be the case. But a lot of these guys are working out for 15, 20 clubs, and they need to go to those places and, and do it. And obviously, those flights cost a lot of money, and, and the new proposal would be that a player can have an agent. Um, so that's kind of a hang-up. Um, obviously, you're going to be behind the eight ball if you're a player that is going to just be comb- the, the combine and not doing all of the, end, the other workouts. But uh, I think they can figure that stuff out. Um, like we, like you said, it's not it's not a it's not a done done deal here. It's just you know the first step, but it shows that the that everyone's open to trying to figure things out and make things better for the players, which is a positive because like five years ago, I don't think that was even a consideration. True, indeed. Um, I guess in less positive news, we can switch focus to this. Maybe our last topic, depending on how long this runs. Uh, so yesterday we got, well, and for those listening to the podcast, it'll be two days ago. Um, the bad news that, uh, that defensive tackle slash nose tackle Wayne Williams, uh, will be transferring out of the program. 
Um, while he was never a world beater by any means, um, this is bad. Uh, we don't really have much in terms of depth um, at the defensive tackle position. Um, and, and as everyone kind of pointed out, you know, uh, John Raymond is the only player um, at the defensive tackle slot to take a snap in college uh, thus far. Dan um, is someone who is usually a little more in tune with what's going on um, in the trenches. Uh, what happens next? Because I'm worried. <laughs> um, we really hope that Stephen Clark is good and the fact that Michigan and Florida recruited him was not a fluke. Um, we see a lot more Oki than we probably would have thought uh, originally. Um, we really hope John Raymond doesn't get hurt because if he does, we are screwed. Uh, it's it's not good. It's not a good situation. It's not like something that we can overcome. But you were we're going to be relying on a lot of players that we probably did not expect to be relying on. Uh, as Raymond is quite literally the only defensive tackle who will have played a snap in college football um, on the roster right now. Uh, we have Chris Slayton, redshirt freshman. We have Peyton um, Samuels, another redshirt freshman. We have. Uh, a couple guys coming in, a true freshman, and at least three or four of those guys are probably going to have to play in some capacity. Um, one of them probably will have to start in our base 4-3, but uh, it, it changes a lot. I mean, defensive tackle, as Schaefer said in the past, is the hardest place to recruit. Um, that kind of bears out by the, by the situation we have now. Uh, it doesn't hurt that, it doesn't help that we've lost four defensive tackles, I think, this offseason, which is just kind of freakish. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that we were going to have Wayne Williams out there every snap, but if he could have given Syracuse a good 30, 25, 30 plays a game, I mean, that would have been huge as, just as a, as, a, as a run defender. Uh, now we just – John Raymond needs to be everything we thought he could be before the terrible injuries. Um, otherwise, we're going to be shifting defensive ends inside, which our defensive end group I think is, is interesting, but it's not one that – we can really afford to be pushing playmakers into uh, the position where they have to hold the line. Um, it's not great. Uh, I, I will say that out of all the coaches on the staff that I trust to try to work through this and develop players fast, Tim Douse is probably number one. I think he's probably our best position coach. Uh, he's done some wonders with some, some defensive lines that weren't super talented in the past. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, he can figure it out and Raymond stays healthy and has a big year because otherwise Syracuse is going to be very vulnerable in the middle. Yeah. And I mean, to me, it's, it's so problematic because while, well, the linebacker spot has really helped, um, you know, make the Syracuse blitz scheme as aggressive and as effective as it's been in previous years. Um, you know, it, it just, it still doesn't happen without an effective um, and, and healthy defensive line. Um, and, and, you know, I know we talked about a little bit in the comments and, and, and over in the uh, staff chat. It's just you don't want to have to see Ron Thompson shift inside again when he, he could just be such an effective uh, defensive end uh, for Syracuse, both in terms of run stopping and pass rush. It's, I mean, this throws a wrench into a lot of things. It also I means we never wanted to have to throw Stephen Clark and Tyler Cross into um, is true freshman, then it seems very, very likely um, that they do. I know some folks have kind of mentioned that, you know, Clark wasn't in necessarily the toughest league in Alabama. Uh, 
across was um, believe playing in Connecticut. Um, you know, these are guys who, while they, they could rise to challenge, uh, there's certainly going to be a, an enormous, enormous step up for them um, going from what they played in high school to uh, what they're going to be playing um, by week two, um, you know, of the Syracuse football season um, in Wake Forest, the fellow power conference school. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely see this as a wrench. I don't think it's a death knell, but, um, you know, like you said, if uh, if one guy goes down, whether that's, I mean, John Raymond in particular, if he goes down, I, I don't like what happens next. Um, but I think Caden Samuels is, is kind of in the same boat. Uh, I know Samuels hasn't taken a snap, but at the same time, he is a very, very, very good and rising uh, player uh, based on all uh, feedback we've heard from uh, from spring practice, at least. Um, so yeah, losing any of those guys at this point is uh, is incredibly problematic for us. Yeah, cannot afford injuries there. And unfortunately, like Raymond, obviously we all hope the best for him. We hope he he has an incredible season. He's very injury prone, um, and he had a really freak freak injury two years ago. It's kind of miraculous that he's even playing. So obviously, it's no by no fault of his own, but. It's not exactly the guy that you would probably want to put your money on staying healthy the whole year, especially when he's going to be commanding double teams all the time. So hopefully Clark or Cross or one of the other, these other guys can really emerge as a, as a useful player. Um, and I do have hope for them down the road, but uh, it's asking a lot. It's asking a lot of anyone to step in and play against an ACC schedule, a defensive tackle, when you were just in high school a couple months ago. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. At least uh, at least Syracuse will be able to tell uh, defensive linemen over the next couple of years that if you you know if you can play on the inside, you can come play right away, especially next year and the year after. There's uh, not a lot of guys there, and most of the linemen that we have are, are pure defensive ends. But, you know, the fact that we're moving Ron Thompson inside at all is kind of crazy. He's not a defensive tackle build-wise, but he kind of made it work last year. Um, similar to the way Chan Jones did it uh, in the OP package a couple of years ago. Um, but that's definitely not ideal. So hopefully we can get away with it. Hopefully Raymond still stays healthy and has a big year. Um, but I'm going to be very nervous the whole time. As will I, because it's Syracuse football. <laughs> so I guess closing yeah, was- out. Uh, no, go for it, Dan. No, I was going to say that wasn't to imply that I'm not always nervous watching Syracuse play football. It's a, it's a nerve-wracking experience. Always, always, always. So I guess we close this out. Um, you know, looking at the next month or so, we're going to be here every week. Uh, looking at the next month or so, what's kind of the big storyline for you for Syracuse Athletics? Um I mean, obviously, we have a new AD. Obviously, football season's around the corner. But, but what's the what's the big thing that you're going to be focused on? That can be any sport, any person. Um, just just what really kind of rises to the top for you as an SU fan? Uh, just seeing how Coyle steps in. Um, he's taking over, I believe, July seventh, July fifth, July seventh, one of those days. Um, seeing what he, you know, has to say, what he does in his first couple months. Obviously, I don't expect him to make any huge decisions. Uh, before he gets comfortable, but it'll it'll just be interesting to see how the entire athletic department kind of rallies around him and how it functions differently than what we've been accustomed to the last few years. Um, and then football recruiting, I think 
Syracuse has quietly become a bigger player in the recruiting ground. It hasn't always um, hasn't always meant that we've been beating teams out for, for big-time guys, but it seems like we're at least involved in more races than we have been uh, in the last six or seven years. Um, we just landed in the top ten for a uh, four-star receiver out of New Jersey, uh, Brad Hawkins, today, uh, along with Auburn, Michigan, Oregon, a bunch of other disruptors, uh, a number of other number of other bid programs and peer programs. So it seems like we're getting more involved in those races, even if we don't win them. Um, that's good to see. And I think uh, a lot of these, you know, people have complained about some of the assistant coach hires that we've made in the last couple of years. I can say that Bobby Acosta is worth his weight in gold right now. He is, if he's, you know, he might be as effective for us so far in his tenure as George McDonald was. And he was not the, uh, acclaimed recruiter that McDonald was coming in. So I think, you know, maybe Joe Adam wasn't the, the most uh, attractive hire and people have questions about him and some of the other guys, but I think Acosta's been incredible for what, what he's stepped into and, and where he's coming from. And it just seems like he's connecting to recruits really well. And it, that's kind of, uh, it's been proven just by the fact that they seem to be giving him new territories all the time. So I think Syracuse the football, um, there's a, a lot there. The on the season, the on the field stuff, the stuff coming this fall will be interesting, and and we're all a bit, you know, on edge about that. But I'm really hoping that things work out on the field because it seems like the the staff is starting to put it together in terms of recruiting. But obviously, you can only go so far with that without results. So hopefully, they give us a reason to want them to stick around. Oh, completely. And, you know, you brought up Bobby Acosta, and I thought that was a great point. Um, we did, uh, you know, kind of wasn't a huge feature, but it was a, a, an article a couple months back about just how important he is to the, the Syracuse football staff, especially as we continue to, to tread into New Jersey and really do continue to, to get into bigger and bigger races. I mean, you obviously want to win them, and, and we are winning some of them. I mean, look at Culpepper and uh, Washington in particular. Um, we had to just finding ourselves involved in these uh, these four-star kids who aren't from New York State, so it's not that, like, courtesy um, local program nod that uh, that we might have felt, fallen victim to in the past with some New York State kids. Um, it's definitely great to see um, that uptick. But like you said, without the on-field results, um, you kind of fall into a bit of a Mike London-type rut of, uh, okay, like, now that you have all these these, you know, top kids on campus. And, and for him, it was even more talented players um, than what we're currently taking in, though that could change. Um, you know, like, where are the wins? Um, and again, I, I think that this is, this might be the most important SU football season in recent memory. Um, maybe the most important since, geez, probably the year after McNabb left. I mean, we're just... It, it, it's it, we're at a crossroads, and and this year could decide long-term trajectory. And for what it's worth, and I hope it's worth something. I, I do hope that we see more positives than negatives, and and at least a six and six record, so that you know Scott Schaefer can kind of continue um, his own kind of positive positive run that that it feels like we're building on this offseason. Absolutely. And hopefully, uh, you know, obviously we haven't gotten much from 
what Toya will think, and he probably has to review everything that's gone on. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how he approaches it. It's a very similar timeline to when Gross took over, and and Pasolini obviously has way more years and and whole different story. But in terms of the time frame of Torch being on the hot seat, new AD taking over, new new chancellor taking over, kind of kind of similar. Um, although the program's in very different spots. So it'll be uh, starting to be an intriguing one. I, I think Syracuse football, at least since Robinson left, has always been that. We always, we haven't really known what to expect on a year-to-year basis. So if that, if that trend keeps up, I think we'll actually be in for some good things because I know uh, we're not all overly optimistic this will be a great season, but those tend to be the ones that Syracuse seems to uh, come out of nowhere for. Agreed. I very much hope that any negative thoughts they might have right now are dead wrong. Um, and I think that's a good place to wrap. Um, Dan, thanks as always for hopping on. Much appreciated. Yeah, happy to do it. Happy to uh, talk to all these fun things that have been going on. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Um, for everybody listening at home and route to work, at work, wherever you may be, uh, thanks for uh, listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Uh, we're here each and every week. Be sure to uh, rate us, like us, review us, star us, whatever it is on uh, on Blog Talk and, and most importantly on iTunes. Those things actually do help us out. And uh, we'll see you next week. Go Orange. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.